Welcome to Modern Practice. And on this episode, we'll finish our discussion about documenting and coding for spinal surgeries. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operation and Quality of Vision and Practicing Internist. And joining me again is Rachel Mack, Consulting Director for Clinical Documentation Improvement at Vision. Rachel, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. So happy to be here again to talk more about spinal surgery. So you mentioned there's some query opportunities then. Oh, yes. So first and foremost, I always want to give a warning. I hate to say approach all patients the same, but there are some low, medium hanging fruit that we should approach every patient with, right? Things that we should be on the lookout for where all this treatment, all these clinical indicators are documented, and we just don't have those magic words from a CDR coding perspective. But one of the first and most obvious query opportunities for our spinal surgery patients is acute blood loss anemia, or ABLA. Even in a normal run-of-the-mill spinal surgery, blood loss can be significant for these patients. The exposure of the spine with stripping of muscle off bone, which is just even gross to say, this leaves those exposed surfaces of muscle and bone that can bleed unless they are coagulated. Younger patients have a thick periosteum. They have less bleeding during exposure. Older patients can have that thin periosteum and osteoporotic bone with what's called wider vascular channels. So also patients with neuromuscular scoliosis, so kids and adults with any type of osteoporotic bone can also have increased blood loss potential as well. Also, when a patient needs decompression, laminectomy can result in epidural bleeding, which again, results in a lot of bleeding. So what if it's something more than just an acute blood loss resulting in anemia? That is a great question. So Some of our patients truly just have an acute blood loss anemia, right? They lose, let's say, 700 cc's from surgery. We give them one or two units. Their H&H dips down and then improves, and they're great. However, some patients, either due to their age, comorbidities, their baseline health, all of those things, let's say they lose 1,500 cc's of blood, and let's say we have to shoot them to the ICU, and we have to give them three products and start them on pressors and their lactic acid levels are elevated, all of those things that are screaming, hey, this may not just be an acute blood loss anemia, this may be a hypovolemic or a hemorrhagic shock. So again, you have to take the whole clinical picture into account. Some patients are borderline, right? You can't really tell if they have just an acute blood loss anemia or a shock, but when in doubt and you're not sure, definitely query. Also, again, for the CDI specialists and coders on the call, we know, but our other listeners should know, Shock unspecified is a CC that qualifies, it quantifies the same as acute blood loss anemia, which is also a CC. I always say job security (laughs) in CDI encoding, but one of the things that we need sometimes is that magic word. So sometimes we just need a hypovolemic or a hemorrhagic shock. If we can pick up those two words or one of those words, those conditions are going to code to an MCC as opposed to just a CC. So again, not going to happen to all or a lot of our patients, but definitely something to be on the lookout for, especially if you are working from a CDI work list and you notice this patient's length of stay is creeping up and up and up. And let's say you haven't visited them since hospital day one or day two, I would definitely hop into that case for a look around to see if they were having an ABLA or goodness forbid, a shock. So you mentioned bleeding as one of those query opportunities. Are there others? Oh, there are so many others. So okay. I'll go on another, a little bit more rare, but I find it's overlooked by CDI specialists and coders frequently is spinal cord edema. So edema, it's kind of a weird one. Edema after spinal cord injury 
is one of the first observations after the primary injury, and this can last for a few days after the trauma. This is a condition that has some serious consequences on the affected tissue and also doubles down and can aggravate the initial devastating condition. So this is a condition, it can occur for a variety of reasons, particularly related to fracture, trauma, et cetera. Those patients, again, you're going to look at their scans, look at if we're treating them with IV steroids. If they have that condition and the only place it's documented is in the CT or the MRI or something like that, that would definitely be a reason for a CDI or a coding query to get that on the record. This also can happen to patients postoperatively. If it does, it does, and we need to get it captured. Something also interesting, I love giving out little tidbits, little nuggets of knowledge for the CDSs on the call. Edema of the spinal cord currently codes to G95.19. This also is a synonymous term. The primary code name is called other vascular myelopathies. And the synonymous terms we have for that are edema of the spinal cord, hematomyelia, non-pyogenic intraspinal phlebitis and thrombophlebitis, and subacute necrotic myelopathy. Sorry, that's a mouthful. So all of those, if they are documented in the medical record by a provider, they are going to code to that G9 5.19 code and establish an MCC for that case. So that's a big one. Again, I wouldn't say it's rare. It's just not as common as some of our other things, but something I find is overlooked when it happens. Two great opportunities. Great opportunity. And people don't realize it's an MCC as well. So are there any more run-of-the-mill CDI query opportunities for these cases? Great question, Tom, and there absolutely are. There are the typical acute conditions that these patients can experience, either pre-op or post-op. If they're pre-op coming in for an injury, urgently, emergently, or post-op, they can experience all these. Oftentimes, these more acute conditions present on admissions, and these patients are admitted emergently. Typically, our planned spinal surgeries have extensive workup done in the outpatient space to prepare their body for surgery and make them about as perfect as they're going to be. So what I like to say is these patients, your electives, your planned procedures are typically not a hot mess expressed <laughs> when they are admitted. But that being said, if your patient presents emergently or urgently, be on the lookout for those acute conditions like metabolic or toxic encephalopathy, acute respiratory failure acute on chronic systolic and or diastolic heart failure, pressure ulcers, rhabdomyolysis, pneumonia, and sepsis. Those are definitely conditions, especially if these patients fell, they fractured something, they were on the ground for a while. Some of our CHFers, you barely have to look at them funny, and they're going to go into an exacerbation. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. I also think it's very important here, and you will hear us here at Busy and shout this from the rooftops, even for our patients who are admitted electively for a planned procedure, we need to ensure all of their chronic conditions that are being monitored, evaluated, and treated in the hospital are well-documented. This is of vital importance and risk adjust these patients so they look exactly as sick as they are when they are rolling or walking through the door. So some of those conditions, this stuff we see all the time, still under-documented though, we know malnutrition, mild, moderate, or severe, with or without cachexia, we can code cachexia with all of our malnutrition codes except nutritional marasmus. So particularly something to think about with our urgent emergent patients, maybe our nursing home patients, maybe our cancer patients, things like that. Other conditions, always clinically significant. Our coding guidance currently tells us that morbid obesity with a BMI greater than 40 
and obesity with a BMI greater than 30 are always clinically significant. So if you've got a BMI floating around in there and no associated documentation, which for our listeners, spoiler alert, that is very common with surgeons. (laughs) They sometimes don't bring in all those comorbid conditions. That can be a query opportunity. Another one is cardiac arrhythmias, especially our AFib patients. Once our patients hit over about 65, this becomes more and more common, and there is ample query opportunity for this condition. Typically, it's documented. What I find is these patients have had AFib forever. (laughs) They've been anticoagulated forever, and we just need the specificity of that AFib, like a permanent or a persistent. That will capture the CC for that patient. Another common condition that can be overlooked for our patients is CKD staging, either 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or end-stage renal disease, or acute renal failure, which a CKDer can absolutely develop postoperatively. Again, some of our CKDers, especially 4 and 5, you breathe on them funny, and they kind of develop this AKI. Other chronic conditions, and this has become much better documented in the last several years, in my humble opinion, are chronic systolic and diastolic heart failure or cardiomyopathies. And in the CDI encoding space, we can code both. If a patient has X cardiomyopathy, we can code that with a heart failure. Another condition, again, pretty well documented is a dementia for our patients on admission. I have randomly seen query opportunities where the dementia is not mentioned, but they're on the Menda. (laughs) They're on home medications like that. So clearly something's going on. And a lot of these patients, again, another condition where If they end up in a longer stay in the ICU, they can develop ICU delirium, behavioral disturbance, sundowning, all sorts of things. And we want to make sure those are documented because those are all CCs. So another condition that needs to be well documented is any and all primary and secondary cancers. These are heavily risk adjusted. And other conditions that need to be documented, overlooked all the time, is chronic respiratory failure for our patients with oxygen dependence. Physicians are really good at documenting dependent on O2, home on O2, not so great at documenting that chronic respiratory failure, which is a CC as well. And then lastly, some chronic conditions, and these can be chronic or not chronic, but any fluid or electrolyte disorder like a hypo or a hypernatremia and hypo and hyperkalemia definitely need to be documented. Rachel, we spoke about that. There is some liberties involved with the coders and the CDI team. In addition to that, there could be some creativity here. But say either the CDI specialist or the coder ends up getting it wrong or gets a wrong DRG. Is that permanent damage or is it the end of the world? <laughs> Great question. Yes and no. I hope it's okay, Tom. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my neck here. So Okay. And again, I always say I'm I'm a nurse by background. I've been a CDI specialist. It'll be 11 years in August, which is just crazy to think about. So I can talk trash about us when it's appropriate. So uh, (laughs) typically what I see happen is CDS says we've gotten a lot better at procedure coding. We are still not medical coders, right? That is typically not our forte. So we do the best that we can concurrently to end up in that accurate, (laughs) right DRG. What usually happens is during reconciliation, (laughs) and reconciliation is the process of aligning the CDS's codes and the coder's codes, it's basically two sets of eyes on the case to make sure everything is copacetic, accurate, and that we are capturing everything that we can. And usually during this process, the coder will reach out to the CDS and say, hi, Rachel, FYI, I'm pretty sure you ended up in the wrong DRG here. And it's not a blame game. It's not a negative thing. It's truly an opportunity for learning. So for the CDI specialist, they go back in, they can review that op note and they're like, that's how they got to anterior. 
That's how they got that code. So they don't make the same mistakes over and over again. That's one of the great opportunities for reconciliation. So typically the coder gets these surgeries right. What I tell CDI specialists is this. If you are reviewing a spinal surgery case and you're like, I don't even know (laughs) if this is the right PCS code, review for everything. And I hate to say that, but we've got so many risk-adjusted modalities and methodologies that are based on the DRG you are in. If you're not sure and you're doing the best you can, you review for every overlooked CC, MCC, you make sure you've got your principal diagnosis right. And then you look for those other risk-adjusted diagnosis and gaps in the documentation and query when you can. That's really kind of all you can do to cover your rear end when you're really not sure if you're in the right DRG. And again, not the end of the world and always a learning opportunity. Rachel, this was a great discussion. Any other final words for our listeners, particularly our CDSs and coders out there? You know, I've always got final words. So, (laughs) and again, I mentioned before, you know, reconciliation, not as everything, but that is where you are going to really increase your learning curve for these spinal surgery cases. You are not going to get good at something. One, if you never get a feedback loop about why you ended up in the wrong DRG, but two, maybe this is not something you review all the time. Maybe in your batch of cases for Monday through Friday, you might end up with two of these, (laughs) whereas you have 20 CHFers and 15 acute respiratory failures and 10 sepsis cases. So you get really good at that stuff. This is something you're going to have to kind of swim in the deep end when you're in these cases. If there's an opportunity, I know most CDI programs don't review 100% of cases just because that's life and not every program has CDSs working on the weekend. But if there's an opportunity to pick up (laughs) a spinal surgery case, don't avoid it. Don't be an avoider. Absolutely pick up that case as scary as it may be and really just start to dive in and figure out this PCS coding. Anybody who's listening, you are not going to get good at it unless you do it over and over again. And you might have to implant that opportunity for yourself. So those are really my final words. Again, these cases can be really complex, even if they're admitted, planned, electively. Things can happen either in the OR, postoperatively. Dr. Tom, you mentioned earlier, our patients, we have an aging population I feel like every patient now, as opposed to 15 years ago, has one or two or three additional comorbidities at their baseline. Absolutely. So anything and everything can happen to these guys and gals. So be on the lookout. Again, you're a detective. Your job is not to just code the case, but you are looking for things that are missing or vague or conflicting. So that's always my final word. Great job. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on these three episodes. And to our listeners, You can contact Rachel at her email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at vizianinc.com. We posted a link in our resource section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thanks for listening.